Ciao, Hope. Ciao, Gabriel. All right, I'll be all right. Get a little worked up when we sing Sovereign. I love that song. You guys know the song, right? You guys are living this song? Are you living this song? You need to live this song. <laughs> you're, you're supposed to know that everything that comes your way, God has a purpose in it. God is doing a thing in it. This is not bad luck. This is not good luck. This is God. This is God with His hand on you. Love this song. Okay, I have a love-hate relationship with greeting cards. Um, maybe some of you can relate. I think I've shared this story before. I love to give Karen cards, but it's so hard to find a decent greeting card. I don't know if you have this problem. Most of them are just really bad. I mean, they're just really, really bad. I can't believe people get paid money to write this stuff. It's just so terrible. And so normally what I do is I write my own. But one time, one time, I found the perfect card. And I will never forget the joy of it. It was once in my life, only once in my life, did I find the perfect card. And it was an awesome thing. Karen and I were in the middle of a long-distance romance. I was in seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. She was in Little Rock, Arkansas. And... Um, she was 423 miles, six and a half hours by car away from me. That's if I stayed within the speed limits, which I did not always do when I was on my way home to see her. Uh, my little Miata sometimes went too fast, and sometimes nice policemen would stop me, and, and uh, we would have good times together. Um, I loved her, but I left her behind. She loved me, but she let me go. And my friends and family thought I was crazy, uh, for leaving my career and going to seminary, and her friends and family thought she was crazy for letting me go. Almost nobody in our orbit understood what we were doing. <laughs> Almost nobody got it. Have any of you ever had this experience? Almost nobody you talk to says, well, that's a great idea! You know, they're all kind of like, what? You're doing what? You're going to be there for how long? You know, I mean, it was just, uh, yeah, nobody, nobody got it. So, I'm standing in the Hallmark shop, which for you non-Americans is a, a greeting card store in America. And I'm standing there in Kansas City, and I want to send Karen a, a, a card, and, and I want it to communicate that I know this is really weird what we're doing. I, and I want to tell her that I love her and that I understand that it's weird. I, I just was looking for the card that, that would... And I found it. And on the front of the card, there were uh, two, two abstract figures dancing. And I opened the card. What did it say, Karen? Those who hear not the music think the dancer's mad. You guys, you guys have heard this quote? Uh, no one's quite sure who said it first. Uh, there are a number, if you Google it, you'll find a number of people it's attributed to. It was perfect! 
We were hearing the music. Right? And we were dancing to God's music. And almost nobody got it. Almost nobody in our family, almost nobody in our circle of friends, a few people at church got it. <laughs> Only a few got it. You're doing what? <laughs> You're quitting your job? And Karen's just going to wait? I mean, nobody understood what we were doing. But what we were doing, and this is my metaphor for the whole sermon, we were dancing. Which my metaphor, the dance is obedience. The dance is obeying. The, the dance is going with God and obeying God. That's the dance. Because the born-again soul hears the music, right? We hear the music. The world doesn't hear it. Of course the world thinks you're crazy. If you're, if you're really following Christ. You know, one thing that some new believers will say to me sometimes, they'll come to me and they say, Jim, my family's really coming down on me, man. They're coming down hard on me. They think I've lost it. They think I'm losing it. They think I've gone over the edge. And you know what I always say? I've, already, I've said this to you before. You know what I say? Does anybody remember what I say? I say, yay! That's right! You are crazy! You are weird! You're supposed to be weird. You belong to God. This world does not. This world is in rebellion against Him. This world despises Jesus Christ. Oh, they may say a few nice things about Him here and there. But they don't love Him. And they don't obey Him. God says it eight times if you have a King James version. God says it eight times. And I love the King James in this particular translation. God says, My people are a peculiar people. You guys know this, right? My people are weird. They're My people. They love Me more than they love the world. They love Me more than they love their sin. They love Me above all things. My people are peculiar people. Of course they're peculiar. They're peculiar in the best way. They're My people. That's really what God is saying. They're an odd people. <laughs> they don't belong in this. We are aliens, right? Isn't that what we say a lot? We are aliens. And we are strangers in this world. We are a peculiar people. We've met Christ. And everything's changed. As Paul told the Corinthians, if we are in Christ, we are brand new. Not we are perfect yet, but we are new. God's hands are on us and we are becoming more and more and more peculiar all the time. And we love it. Amen? <laughs> we love being a peculiar people. And we, we, we don't settle anymore. We won't settle anymore. We can't settle anymore. We can't chase the stupid things the world chases anymore. It simply doesn't hold our attention. It's simply not that interesting anymore. I've met Jesus Christ and He's the most interesting person I have ever met. And as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, I give myself in pursuit of Him. I desire Him. I'm seeking Him above all things. 
This is what it means, beloved, to be a Christian. C.S. Lewis says, we're no longer enamored with the world. We put down our mud pies and we pursue infinite joy in Christ Jesus. John Piper says, we're no longer deluded. We're no longer chasing those bubbles that burst. We're going hot and hard after God. Brent Curtis says, we can't settle anymore. We're in on the sacred romance. We're hearing the music, <laughs> right? And we begin to dance and the world says, what's wrong with you? Beloved, if people aren't asking you this question, you might need to examine your Christianity. Really, family and friends should be asking you at times, various times, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You know, you're acting in a very peculiar fashion. This is what God's people do. It's all over the New Testament. The men and women who fell in love with Jesus and followed Him and gave their lives away to Him. <laughs> it's Hebrews 11. It's, it, look at all the peculiarity in Hebrews 11. The, men and, the great men and women of faith. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to have to okay, rein it in so we get out at a good time. Um, We've met Jesus Christ, and I, I love this. I love this thought. You know, He introduces us to our new self. Okay, <laughs> so for the first time in your life, your heart is beating in a way it's never beaten, and your your uh, your eyes are open, your mind's awake, your emotions are stirred, your imagination is brimming. It's all new. We've met Christ. We not only understand Philippians 1.21, we love Philippians 1.21. It's not only beautiful prose, it's, a, it's the only, seemingly the only reasonable way to live. Does anybody remember what Philippians 1.21 says? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Of course, they think we're crazy. <laughs> we really believe this. We really believe this verse. We love this verse. We're learning how to live this verse. To live is Christ. To die is gain. In short, with our born-again eyes, we now see what is truly valuable as opposed to what the world tells us is truly valuable. Jesus Christ is of infinite value. And I am His and He is mine. Amen? I can't settle for the junk the world is pushing. Again, it simply does not hold my interest. It simply does not hold my interest. We're no longer a lemming following the herd. We're following the Son of God. As we talked about last week regarding Moses, and I love this, I love this. Um, it's one of the things we mentioned last week. Moses had learned that God created Moses to fill Moses up with God. Have you learned that yet? That's why you're still on the planet. It's not about having a great career or having a great family or doing great things or accumulating great wealth. Some of you may do these things. Some of these things are the blessings of God. But the greatest blessing of God is to know Him as we talked about Last week, John 17, 3, God's definition of eternal life. Moses had learned that God created him to be filled up 
with God. God created Moses to fill Moses up with God. You're supposed to know this. You call yourself a Christian. You're supposed to know that God is in the process of filling you up with Himself. And of course, you're putting yourself in the way of God. You're sitting under the preached Word of God. You're, you're uh, studying the Scripture in a small group. You're, you're, you're spending quiet time with, with the Lord in prayer and, and in meditation over the Word. You're out there in the world obeying God. You're dancing. You know, it's like you cannot not dance, right? <laughs> if you've met Him, right? It's like Matthew sitting at his, his, his table collecting taxes and Jesus says, follow me! And he does. He does. <laughs> you know, Peter, John, and Andrew and these guys, they're fishing and Jesus, he says, follow me. They throw their nets and they leave. I mean, you know, it's understanding who your creator is. It's understanding who your redeemer is. And as we talked about, I think it was two weeks ago, Isaiah 65 we talked about how God exhorts us over and over and over and over again to seek Him. And then Isaiah 61.5, God says, Here I am. Do you want me? Here I am. Come get me. This is what God says to every human being. You want me? Come get me. Here I am. You can have all of me that you want. It will take forever for you to have all of me, which is to say you will never have all of me. There will always be more of me that you don't have. There'll be more beauty for you to discover, more mystery for you to discover, more intellect for you to discover. I'm infinite, God! I am! He says, here I am! And as we talked about, this is a great insult to this God who says, here I am. And we say, I'm not interested. I'd rather, I'd rather really give my life to my job. I'd rather really give my life to the pursuit of wealth. I'd really rather give my life to the pursuit of some relationship. That's what I really love more than anything else. And of course, God allows you to go your way and do your thing. And God says, here I am. <laughs> he says, here I am. Here I am. So, let me ask you, do you hear the music? And are you in on the dance? If you're hearing the music, you've become an earnest seeker of God as we talked about two weeks, two weeks ago. And you have become a true worshiper. You desire Jesus Christ above all else as we talked about last week. And as I said earlier, I was going to move on to a different sermon series, but I've been getting comments from you guys. And so apparently God is doing something in this little body uh, as I preach about uh, seeking Him and desiring Him. Apparently, God delights in this sermon series and He's doing something in your life. Maybe some of you are convicted. I don't know. But I'm hearing from you. Maybe some of you are, 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 really, start, are, are really starting to take a look at you know, just where, what are my priorities. Is Christ first or not? Right? I don't know. I'm hearing from you guys. And so, I, I can't come off this yet. Maybe this would be the last sermon in this regard about seeking and desiring God, the Lord Jesus Christ, above everything else in my life. 
as we've been talking about the last several weeks. Beloved, if there's something that you've got in front of God in your life, it's not only wrong, it's loss. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not simply wrong. It's your loss. You lose when you put anything in front of God. You lose. You're the one who loses. God doesn't need your worship. You know? God really doesn't need you to follow Him. God doesn't really need you to obey Him. He's God! He's infinitely full and happy in Himself. He doesn't need one thing from you. But you need everything you can get from Him. And everything that you are and everything that you have is by His kind hand. Amen? You're not doing God any favors by being uh, a churchgoer. By all means, we're, we're commanded together in the church. And, but don't for one instance think you're doing God a favor. <laughs> He's done you a favor. He's come for you. He's provided this place. He's provided His Word. He's given His Spirit that you might that you might hear the music, that you might begin to dance. And we saw, we saw uh, last week, we saw, uh, you know, Moses who, who, had, who, who had had the greatest revelation of God of any man who'd ever walked the planet, right? Uh, he knew more about God than, than anyone who'd ever walked the planet. And what was the one more thing that he knew? Remember we talked about last week? Moses knew at least one more thing. He knew he hadn't seen anything yet, remember? He knew, and, and he hadn't seen anything yet. And that's kind of the ambiance of what we, we see here uh, as we look at this text in, in Romans. Paul, who had the, the greatest direct revelation uh, from God other than, any, other than Moses in the New Testament, uh, he received direct revelation from Jesus Christ, Acts 9 and Galatians 1. And Paul was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words that men are not permitted to speak, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But in spite of all this direct revelation from God, Paul knew what Moses knew. Paul knew he hadn't seen anything yet. And I'm going to share this verse with you again. I shared it with you last week. Philippians 3, 7-10. through 10. Paul says, but what? Is this, is this your confession? Let me ask you, is this your confession? Is this your confession about Christ? Paul says, but whatever things were gained to me, these things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. My Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in Christ that I may know Christ. These two men, Moses and Paul, knew more about God than any man or woman ever has post-fall. And they can't get enough of Him. And uh, I think that's an important lesson for us. I think that's an exciting lesson for us. Paul wants more of Jesus. He desires Jesus above all things. He says, I count everything else as lost by comparison. 
And we know Paul was the perfect Jew. The perfect Jew. He says, man, that's nothing to me anymore. Being a perfect Jew, which is the thing he loved more than anything else. <laughs> it's nothing to me anymore. Jesus Christ is my treasure. So truly seeking Jesus, truly desiring Jesus, it always takes us into a deep, life-altering, self-denying, Christ-exalting, no-risk-is-too-great obedience. And in the pursuit of God, we learn what Paul is saying to us tonight. That Jesus is God and nobody else is. Jesus is God and nobody else is. Verse 33 of Romans 11, Paul says, again, he writes this theology, 11 chapters of breathtaking theology. And then he says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. Paul is simply staggered. You know, he's just staggered. He can't believe God loves him like this. Paul knows his own sin. And he can't believe God loves him like this. He can't believe God's loved him from an eternity past God's loved him. And he can't believe it. It's so awesome. He's stunned and he's staggered. And all that's left for him to do is worship. Amen? And if we've rightly understood the Gospel, we are stunned. And if you're anything less than stunned, I say to you, in love, you haven't understood the Gospel. You haven't understood what you deserve and what He's giving. I just don't understand lukewarm Christianity. I've never, understand, I've never understood business as usual Christianity. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I think it's false. How can you enter into relationship with the living God and not be forever changed? In the most profound ways. I'm, I don't know how it's possible. Paul continues in his worship, verse 34, For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became His counselor? Or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? And here's the whole Bible in one verse. Here's, here's, here's eternity past, creation, providence, all human history, eternity future, right here in this one verse. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul's in all. He's in all. <laughs> if you've met Christ, you're in all. You, you know, it's just the deal. It's the music. You hear the music, right? You hear the music. You hear the music, and it's beautiful. So Christian worship here, Paul is worshiping. It's fueled by this beautiful biblical theology, the first 11 chapters of Romans. Paul can't get over it, and he must worship this beautiful God. And I want you to notice that between the 11, the 11 chapters of of, of 
you know, incredible theology. And when we get to chapter 12, many of you who've studied Romans, you realize that Paul turns a corner, the Holy Spirit turns a corner in chapter 12. Because then he starts talking about applying all of this theology. There's always a therefore. Anytime you see beautiful theology in the New Testament, there's always a therefore is coming because we're supposed to do something with it. We're supposed to do something with this knowledge, right? We don't just sit in church and uh, gaze at our navels with all this knowledge we have about God. We're supposed to do something with it. And so the Holy Spirit's going to turn the corner uh, here in a few minutes. But I want you to notice that theology gives rise to doxology, which gives rise to discipleship. This is what I want you to see. Biblical theology, it always gives rise to doxology. And doxology always gives rise to a life surrendered to Christ. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you really haven't experienced true doxology. You've not really understood the theology. <laughs> it may be dogma to you, but if your life hasn't changed, beloved, if your life hasn't changed, you're not hearing the music. If we're really seeking God above all else, if we really desire God above all else, it will be spilling out of our lives. Amen? It just spills out in our lives at work. It spills out in our lives at the university. It spills out of our lives uh, on the metro. It spills out of our lives in our homes, in our marriages. It just, it's always spilling out, right? It's just spilling out. This love we have for this beautiful God. I'm not saying we're perfect. None of us are perfect. I stand up here and tell you I'm a great sinner. but I know who my Savior is. And I know He's loved me forever. And He will love me forever. And I am secure in Him. And as we talked about some weeks ago, uh, I will stand blameless before God. This, this holy God, this God of inex who, who, who lives in inaccessible light, <laughs> This God who clothes Himself in a rainbow. This holy, awesome God. The thrice holy God. I'll stand blameless in front of Him because of the shed blood of my Savior. How can you not be staggered by this? Again, if you're not staggered, you don't, I don't think you're owning it and understanding it. So the authentic Christian life, it, it, it flows out of a captivated heart. Out of a, a stunned heart. And then we see here in chapter 12 of Romans, verse 1, this is where the turn comes. Right there it says, Paul says, okay, all the theology, the, the, the brief doxology, then he says, I urge you therefore. Therefore what? Therefore what? What does the text say? Therefore what? Do it! Do it! By the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me read it to you from Eugene Peterson's message. I love this. Listen to this. Listen to this. Okay, you're going to love it. Paul says, again, this is a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. Paul says, so here's what you do. 
God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Don't you love that? Do you believe the 11 chapters of theology? Do you feel the doxology of the, at the end of, of Romans 11? Then he says, give yourself as an offering to God. If it's real in your heart, give yourself away. This is what he's saying. <laughs> um, I love it. There's always a therefore. At any time, particularly in the New Testament, anytime God gives us a strong teaching, there's always a therefore because you're supposed to go do it. This is not an intellectual pursuit for us. This is not an academic endeavor for us. God is teaching us to change us. That we will go out and turn the world upside down. How do we turn the world upside down? By sharing the truth of the Gospel of Christ one life at a time and God changes lives through the power of His Word as you witness in the world. You say, well, Tim, I'm in my job because um, I'm an important member of the team and they can't do without me. And, and uh, it's... Yeah, I, I have to be here. And uh, that's really why... No, it's not why you're in that job. You may be an integral part of an important team. Your work may be paramount in that corporation. But you know why you're really in that corporation? You want to know why? You want to know why you're in that spot? Whether it's at school or university or whatever it is, you want to know why you're really there? You're a Christian. You know why you're really there? You know, I don't even have to tell you, right? You're there to be the light. You're the light of the world. You're there to make much of Jesus. You're there to smell like God as we talked about Thursday night at Young Adult Bible Study. That's why you're there. I always ask people, why are you in Milan? You know, because people come here for jobs or school or whatever. But you know what I always like to say to you? You're here because God's brought you here. There's an errand God has for you to do here. That's preeminently why. You are here. Paul says, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Paul, I just want to make two comments about this. Paul says, going back to verse 33, Paul says, God's too deep. He's too deep. He says, there's an unreachable hiddenness to God. Don't you love this? about? I, love, I think I've shared this with you many times. I love the mystery of God. It's one of my favorite attributes of God. The mystery of God. Paul's saying something else. He's saying God is at the bottom of everything. There's no explanation beneath God. No matter how deep you go, God is there. He's the first and He is the last explanation. There's nothing under God. Listen to how the Bible speaks about the wisdom and knowledge of God. Job 5.9 God does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. Psalm 92.5 How great are Your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. Psalm 40, verse 5 Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which You have done and Your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with You. If I would declare and speak them, they would be too numerous to count. God's ways and His thoughts, they are infinitely deep. How can you not hunger and thirst to pursue this genius mind of God? You know, people, I, when, 
you know, I meet pseudo-intellectuals and they're bored. They say, well, religion's boring. God's boring. I have to say, yeah, pseudo-intellectual is just about right for you. God is infinite mind, right? God is infinite mind. I love David's ex- exclamation in Psalm 139. As he contemplated the knowledge of God, he said, it's too wonderful for me. Amen? It's too, he says, it's, it's too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't attain unto it. Amen? I love it. One of our greatest discoveries in life as Christians is that we never get to the end of God. The Greek word translated unsearchable, it means to be untraceable. It's untrackable. Uh, The Greek word translated unfathomable, it means it's undetectable. God says, I am unsearchable and I am unfathomable. God says, you can never get to the end of me. God says, you'll never get to the end of my inexplicable wonders ever. I am always intrigued. People, when they hold their Christianity in this, this, uh, yeah, like it's some small thing, it's some boring thing, it's just something I do, it's just some habit I have. Beloved Christianity, it's like I told you last week, it's not a religion, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be called into the body of Christ by the Good Shepherd. And I I just want to make sure you understand, I always make this point, the mystery of God's not a bad thing. Listen, I know people are always asking you questions. What about this? What about that? What about this? You say, hey, I have no idea. God doesn't speak to that. God didn't explain that to me. I don't know. It's not in His Word. I don't know. He's an infinitely mysterious God. Isn't it great? For how can you worship some God you understand? Amen? You can't worship some God you can understand. And God, I am God. He's unfathomable. He's inscrutable. We'll never understand Him. We'll never understand. Don't ever try to explain the Trinity to anyone. People always want me to explain the Trinity. Well, you've been to seminary. You have a Master's of Divinity. Explain the Trinity. I can't. I won't bring God down in trying to explain the Trinity. It's just the revelation of God. God doesn't explain the Trinity. He simply reveals the Trinity. Just slap it. If you need to. As one theologian said, a comprehended God is no God at all. Do you notice in verse 34, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who is the counselor of God? The, the obvious answer is there is no counselor of God. There's a pigeon uh, out, out my office window. There's a little chimney, one of those little chimneys. You know, Italians like to build lots of little chimneys. And he stands on that, on that top of that chimney and he just goes in a circle. You guys ever seen him do this? And he just goes in a circle, like for the longest time. And as I was thinking about this passage, I thought, I wonder what's going on in that pigeon brain. I mean, why is he going in a circle over and over and over and over again? And I thought, I wonder what he would say to me about this verse. 
And then I realized He could better advise me on this verse than I could ever advise God on anything. This pigeon would come closer to advising me than I could ever come to advising God. God has no counselor, beloved. He knows everything. Everything. He has no counselor. It's interesting that Paul says the thing that we should not, cannot, or dare not do is the very thing that mankind does. Most men do not offer Jesus you know, genuine worship, genuine love, genuine obedience. Um, the things that you would assume a creature would offer to his Creator. But boy, men love to counsel God, don't they? Don't men love to counsel God? I hear it all the time. They want to counsel God. The world is full of God advisors. God, you should have done this. God, why don't you do this? God, you need to do this. Listen, beloved, don't be a God advisor. Okay? <laughs> don't be a God advisor. Join the Apostle Paul, fall at the feet of this awesome God, and continue to pursue, seek, desire God, delight in God, worship God, trust in God, believe God, and radically obey God. Verse 35, he said, Who has given back to him that it might be paid back to him again? To whom is God a debtor? Now, again, I hear this a lot too. Men, most men seem to think that God owes them something. Do you hear this out in the world? Well, why did this happen in my life? Well, why did that tragedy happen? Well, why did he, God let that happen? You know, it's like the, the presumption is God owes me a perfect life. He owes it to me. But what do we learn from the Bible? What does God owe us? Someone tell me. Justice. That's really all God owes us is justice. Because He's a just God. That's all He owes us is to deal justly with us. And so what, where do I end up if I get justice? Yeah, Sarah knows. I end up in hell. God doesn't owe me one thing. I am a rebel. I am a rebel guilty of a capital offense. God does not owe me anything. But oh, guess what? He died for me. How can this be small? I, I just I never have never understood how people can profess to be Christians and it's some you know some little side part of their life that they do when they have time. Beloved, that's you've been deceived. That's not Christianity at all. In fact, that kind of Christianity, as we talked about last week, I think it, it I think it just makes God mad. He says, why would you come to me with just with words on your lips and leave your heart far from me? We've talked about this the last few times. God detests lukewarm religion. God doesn't owe you anything, but He's offered you everything. It's an astonishing biblical truth. And you know what you and I need to learn? You, you know what we need? To, we just need to, 
to do what we were designed to do. You know what you were designed to do? I mean, there would be a lot of ways to answer that question. But preeminently, you know what you were designed to do? You were designed to thankfully receive from God. You're just designed to receive from God. You're You're just to receive from God and rejoice! What does He say in Romans 1? Why is man guilty? Because they knew I'm God, they know I'm God, but they do not give thanks, nor do they honor Me. All you have to do, all we have to do is receive, beloved. That's all we have to do is receive with a thankful heart. That's really preeminently what humanity really can can do before the Lord. Simply receive. We don't give Him anything. I know we return our our tithes and our offerings and and we use our gifts, but listen, these are all things that they belong to Him anyway. They're all His anyway. So, you know, just receive that next heartbeat with thankfulness, the next breath of air with appreciation, the next meal with gratitude. Receive the vigor and the health that you enjoy as a gift from God to make much of Jesus. Receive His Word with humility, contrition, and and a teachable spirit. Receive with all mercy. Receive with all the mercy and grace God through the finished work of Jesus has offered to you. All we can do is receive. It's an awesome thing. Will you receive thankfully what God is pouring out into your life? I love Luke 12.32. Your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Did you know that, beloved? He says, fear not, little flock. Your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Verse 36, the whole Bible, all of eternity past, providence, creation, and eternity future in one verse. For from Jesus and through Jesus and to Jesus are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. We've talked a lot about this. Um, I say it to you all the time. It's not about you. Praise God. I've told you it's not about you. It's not about me. Praise God. I'm not that interesting. You're not that interesting. It's about Jesus. It'll always be about Jesus. That's why you're here. That's why everything is here. That's why God created the cosmos. That's why He ordained human history. That's why He sent His Son for His glory and for the joy of His people. It's all about Jesus Christ. Romans 11.36 For from Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ and to Jesus Christ are all things. To Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. It's the whole Bible. It's the whole reason that mankind exists at all. It's for the glory of the Lord. Do you love the thought? Let me ask you this way, and I'm about done. Do you love the thought that you exist exclusively for the glory of God? Some of you probably have arrived here tonight and you thought it was all about you. You're still entertaining that prospect that it's all about me. And God owes me something. And yeah, it's, it's all about me. But let me ask you this. I've already told you it's not. <laughs> so how does that sit with you? Are, is, are you good with it that it's not about you? Are you good with that? 
Are you good with it that you, exe you exist exclusively for the glory of the Son? Are you good with that? You'll be good with it if you're hearing the music. You'll be good with it. <laughs> if you're hearing the music, you'll be good with it. I love Paul's doxology here. It's the fuel of the Christian life. The Christian life always flows from biblical theology through doxology into discipleship. That's how it always works. You can't do discipleship without the biblical theology. You can't do discipleship without the doxology. Those two things have to be happening before you can ever go out into the world and be the witness that the Lord has called us to be. It's what we talked about last week. Are you a Christian hedonist or not? Are you a Christian hedonist or not? So, the title of my sermon is Incarnating the O, right? The O. Paul says O in verse 33. It's like what we talked about, you know, last week we talked about the eternal gas. You know, when you write the word O, oh, it's, it's like a verbalized gasp. It's the best attempt <laughs> to write. Paul says, I can't believe this God is so awesome and He loves me like this. So I'm going to ask you, beloved, are you a, a seeker of God? Are you a pursuer of God? Do you desire God above all things? Do you understand the O? And are you incarnating the O? Are you incarnating the O? Do you understand it? Do you love it? Beloved, God means for everyone around you, again, as we talked about Thursday evening, to smell God in your life. They need to, underst they need to understand this O thing. <laughs> they need to feel this O thing coming off your life. And we are unapologetic in this church. We love Jesus above all things. We are Christian hedonists. He is our supreme pursuit and our supreme pleasure. We make no apologies about that. And our life's goal is to incarnate the O. To incarnate it. To live it for the glory of the Son. Let me... Uh, I'm just going to close. I'll go back to Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase of uh, Romans 12.1. If you understand the O in Romans 11.33, you'll understand what Peterson's saying in 12.1. If we understand that O, we take our everyday ordinary life, our sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and we place it before God as an offering. We are hopelessly in love with Jesus. It's evident to everyone in our orbit. They know it. They know I'm weird. They know I dance to different music. They know I'm peculiar. That's what it means to be a Christian. I know some of you are more peculiar than others. But peculiarity is the mark of true conversion. If you're hearing the music, if you understand about the O, 
then you must dance. And again, my metaphor for that is you must go out into the world and obey Christ as big as you dare that everyone in your orbit will catch the scent and the aroma of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, what a beautiful text. Lord, if there are any here tonight who don't understand about the O, I pray that You will pierce their hard heart. That they might see You. And they might begin to love You above all else. Lord, Your Word tells us that we are here for as compared to eternity, we are here for moments, literally moments of time. Lord, we don't have time to be deceived. We don't have time to play games with the world. Oh God, I pray that You'll convict each one of us about our lives and the stewardship that we have before You and how we live them. Convict us, Holy Spirit, and then exhort us. Exhort us to take our everyday life, our walking around life, our eating and drinking life, and make much of Jesus with it. May the whole world know that we are lovers of Christ, we are seekers of Christ, we are pursuers of Christ, and we desire Him above everything. There's nothing between us and Him. We, we are white hot on His heels. Thank You, Father, for this text. Thank You for this exhortation. And we happily confess, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. You see? Yeah, let's, let's sing a song.